Hello, listener. Nort's here. Tiny Giant Jam 14. They fly by, don't they? I'm here with Kerry Harrison, of course. Hello. Um, fans of the podcast. I'd like to assume they are fans of the podcast, subscribers of the podcast. I'm telling you today, this is a humdinger. Um, we're going deep into the smart of Texas. Isn't that so, Kerry Harrison? That is correct. We are speaking today to Anne Hyatt and Chris Sterling. They've just come back from South by Southwest. And they're going to give us a bit of um, a rundown of what happened and some of the best talks and some of the things that they felt inspired by. So it's going to be a really good one. So I'm really excited about it. It's got a high sizzle factor, hasn't it? Sizzling like a steak. It has. It has. So, yeah. Should we go? Let's go. Whip crack away. Here today, well, we're incredibly lucky actually to be here with Anne Hyatt. She's a business advisor for Fortune 500 companies and was formerly chief of staff at Google and executive business partner to Eric Schmidt and Jeff Bezos. She's also a non-executive director at Armadillo Agency in Bath. We're also joined by Chris Thurling, the co-owner of Armadillo and the chair of Bristol Media. So hello both, thank you for joining us. Hello. How are you? You okay? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, So we've just come fresh from your Bristol Media South by Southwest event, which was great. So thank you. I really enjoyed it. How was the event for you and um, why did you decide to do it? I think probably Chris is a good one to answer in terms of why Bristol Media decided to put that event on. Well... Not everyone gets a chance to go out to South by Southwest, so um, if we can bring back some of the learnings from what we got out there and share it with the community, then that's part of what Bristol Media does. Yeah, cool. And how was the event for you, Anne? Did you, was, did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, one, it's good to be back in the States. I'm there about once a quarter, um, but I haven't been to Texas since I spoke last year. This is my third presentation there. Okay. My first few times were while I was still um, Chief of Staff for Eric Schmidt. Um, so it's always, yeah, it's good to see, good to be back kind of at a home base and get a feel for what's happening in the industry now. And South by Southwest tends to be a good melting pot of, of these ideas and upcoming trends. Yep. And you just literally got back yesterday, didn't you? Literally. <laughs> I arrived at Bristol at two o'clock yesterday afternoon. Yeah. Um, so I'm speaking through jet lag. <laughs> You're doing amazingly well. Thanks. <laughs> so both of you have just revealed some of the main trends from South by Southwest. For our listeners who weren't able to make it along today, how was South by Southwest for you this year? Um, I'll start with you, Anne. How was it for you? Because you've been quite a few times before, haven't you? I have, yeah. Um, for me, it was it was a great um, intersection of lots of different industries reacting to trends across the digital market. Um, when you read through all the talk descriptions, the main themes that popped out this year were largely around artificial intelligence, cryptocurrencies, and machine learning. Okay. So... Um, most people presenting were presenting within one of those three lenses, but with very different takes and different applications within their industry. That, okay. that part was a, a nice takeaway and um, a space that is getting a lot of attention right now. Yeah, there was a lot of talks. I think you said, how many, how many talks did you say there were in total? Almost 5,000. 5,000. So, I mean, how many can you, talks can you cover in the time that you're there? I mean, how many did you go to, do you reckon, around? About 15 to 20. 15, yeah. Is that yeah. the same with you? I think yeah. you probably do four a day if yeah. you're pushing it but come the end you're maybe down to three oh, it certainly right. feels like I've, I've been to more lectures in one week than I did at three years at university really? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so your mind is uh, you know, rather blown 
on the end of it. Yeah, I bet, I bet. That sounds cool. So, Chris, you've been several times before with Bristol Media. Yep. Um, is it five years that you've been as well? Yeah, this is my fifth time. Fifth year. Been, yeah. And how did this year compare, would you say, to your other times? Well, I think, as I was saying in my talk, the first time I went there, I was bowled over by the whole scale of that thing. The, and it was, it does almost feel like another lifetime ago. You know, it feel a world before Donald Trump and Brexit. Yeah, and, yeah, of course. And yeah. There, it did almost feel like I was arriving when there was peak optimism about technology. There were lots yeah. of startups happening in South by Southwest. It was still almost trading off the fact that Twitter launched at South by Southwest yeah, literally yeah. a few years before. Um, and there's this general sense that we were about to move into what Steve Case, who's the founder of AOL, calls the third wave of the internet, where um, it was moving from being apps and social media into the mainstream economy. Yeah. And it was becoming, technology was going to become sort of seamlessly integrated and pervasive in our lives. And that all felt like a very positive story back in 2015. Yeah. I think fast forward to 2019, and there's just a general sense of anxiety okay. that's creeping in that this technology is, is moving ahead so quickly. Um, and the smartest people in the world are developing it, and I haven't mm. worked with a lot of these incredibly smart people, obviously, at Google and at Amazon. And the rest of us have been taken a little bit unawares, okay. and there's a whole series of issues yeah, that aren't pure technical ones, which are perhaps more human ones, that we're now starting to grapple with. And in a sense, South by Southwest is starting to incorporate some of those concerns and interesting discussions alongside the wow, yeah, it's a bit of both, whereas yeah, it's a quite different this year compared to twenty. Compared to when I, yeah, yeah, feels, yeah, that's my that's my sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I know you've been a few times. So I don't know. Yeah, what did no. you, did you no, feel the same? Yeah, sense yeah. I mean, I know I'm coming from a biased environment, <laughs> having been literally yeah. embedded in in this culture for the last fifteen years. Um, I tend to have a more optimistic sort of approach to that, but I know that I'm not entirely neutral. Yeah, um, I am encouraged by the opportunities that artificial intelligence and machine learning are offering. And so it was really interesting for me to see this year the applications, as Chris was saying, of, of this technology instead of just aspirations for what they might do. Yeah. Um, so some fields, you know, things, anything from like healthcare industries, uh, assisting doctors to do better detection or diagnosis, um, opportunities within autonomous vehicles, preventing loss of life through distracted drivers or human error. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you're just seeing it even within the legal community, um, doing better contract analysis so that um, legal minds can spend their time focused on more complex issues rather okay. than just data detection or sifting through long contracts. So it, for me, the overarching message was the human aspect remaining within technology okay. and the way in which we still need creative, thoughtful people to be involved in this in order to maximize what machines can do to, to supplement um, okay. human investment. So for me, it, um, it all still comes back to the human aspect. And and that, again, is a, a lot of the themes around the ethical questions of how we're going to harness this technology for the better of society. Yeah. And you do that through being wary of, of the possible downsides. So I, th I thought the conversation was balanced between the two, the optimistic opportunities and the fears and, and hard questions we need to be asking ourselves. Oh, sounds really good. Um, yeah. You were one of the keynote speakers at the event. I think it was your third time at speak of speaking, is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Could you tell our listeners just a little bit about your presentation and what you and how you found South by Southwest in general? Really? Yeah. My so. first presentation was a panel. 
Um, so last year was my first time keynoting standalone, but I was okay. still within the Google lens then. So this is my first time just being me. Just being you. Okay. Yeah. And um, it, it was great. The, the room was really full and I was really um, flattered that people came to hear my talk. But I think it, um, the room was full because uh, the topic resonated with a lot of the entrepreneurs. Yeah. So the title of my talk was Grit, Reinvention, and Pivoting for Success. Okay. Grit is a big buzzword in Silicon Valley right now where um, for that that word for me boils down into focusing on more of a, a learning mindset rather than a performance mindset, yeah. uh, an environment in which we celebrate our failures as much as our successes and where you're um, expected to have a few bumps in the road. Those are sort of anticipated pain points that are part of the learning that's celebrated in Silicon Valley. And then the second around reinvention is really embracing that power of imperfection. Okay. The innovation and the creativity comes out of those pain points and harnessing that power and really celebrating it, um, being very vocal about sometimes very public uh, failures that you've okay. had um, so that you fast forward the learning of the entire industry, of your, of your colleagues, of, of people doing research in that field so that everyone learns and doesn't have to repeat the same mistakes. And okay. I like that community-mindedness of it, and that's something that I think has kept um, a competitive edge in the companies yeah. that I've yeah. worked for. That's very much a thing at Google, isn't it, about celebrating failure? So yeah, I shared a story at South by Southwest about that where um, even though I was coming from an environment of Amazon, which is a very similar culture, okay. um, when I first came to Google, I set some goals for myself, and I, I turned in what I felt was an A report card at the end of my first quarter. Okay. But my manager, who was Marissa Meyer, who went on to become CEO of Yahoo, she gave it a big F. Okay. <laughs> and I was really confused by that. It kind of hurt my feelings at first. Right. But she um, she really illustrated to me the, to me the difference between um, goals and your deliverables. What I had handed in were my deliverables. Okay. Um, but what she wanted me to do next was to th dream much, much bigger, something that wasn't attainable within a quarter, and to really okay. challenge yourself to apply your abilities in a new and innovative way. Okay. And for me, that's the, that's the secret sauce at Google, is you are expected to aim higher uh, instead of instead of having what I call um, perfectionist paralysis. Okay. When you're when you're aiming to be perfect and have 100% deliverables every quarter, you're focused on that result instead of asking yourself the hard question of how could this be different, could we try it in a new way, and it removes that risk of, of in, um, experimentation that's essential yeah. for innovation. So yeah, I do. I agree. Yeah, that's do. core of, of what it means to... When, when we, we call ourselves Googlers, okay. and the core definition of being googly is someone who does that, like okay. active, constant experimentation. Cool. Yeah. And that leads to kind of the last principle of my talk, which is pivoting. Okay. Once you've kind of identified your personal passion and your purpose and your work, like what gets you excited to get out of bed every morning, and once you are being innovative in your approach... How do you pivot that? How do you institutionalize a culture within your team or within yourself to really maximize your output in that environment? And um, so my talk was about the formula for okay. how to replicate that in many different industries because yeah. I know that Google and Amazon aren't entirely representative no, no, no. of, of yeah. the rest of the world, but I thought those principles were directly applicable to anyone looking to innovate in their field. Brilliant. Yeah. That sounds really good. So... Chris, what would you say your highlights were of South by Southwest? You talked at the event a minute ago about a few speakers in particular. Um, yeah, so, well, one abiding memory of South by Southwest is all the electric scooters that okay. Anne said almost killed her. <laughs> yes. well, almost killed her. And, you know, that, that's interesting to see that Uber is behind those, some of those, for example, and just is an illustration, I suppose, of how Uber's slowly rolling out its strategy to be yeah. this mobility platform and 
you know, probably has the ambition to be the Amazon of mobility. Okay. Um, which I think raises some quite interesting questions. But you know, if, yeah. if mobility gets dominated by one company in the way yeah. Amazon's dominating mm. e-commerce, you know, what does that mean for competition for startups in in that space where you need innovation? I think to solve so many problems. Um, and in a way, it, it, it's almost a bit of a quite a good example of how the states does things differently mm. to Europe, as Anne was mentioning in her talk. You know that it feels like Austin's just been prepared to have literally hundreds of these electric scooters just dumped on the sidewalk <laughs> and people could just get on with it, no helmets, no regulations, really? <laughs> yeah. just kind of go for it. And yeah. you just sort of think you can see the letters in the evening, Bristol Evening Post, yeah. if that happened here, <laughs> about yeah. health and safety and yeah. the first accident. And yeah, I think that, that perhaps represents you know, the different approaches to innovation. Americans tend to just be kind of, if it's there, let's go for it. Yeah, and we'll figure it out how to regulate it afterwards. Mm, mm. Whereas in Europe, we tend to be a bit more cautious, conservative. Yeah. There's probably a balance between the two. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I really like going to South by Southwest is because you get a little bit of that Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, a little bit <laughs> yeah. of that American, <laughs> yeah. gung-ho, Wild West spirit which you know has its downsides but i do think sometimes we are sort of rather cynical skeptical yeah. european approach british approach can do with a bit of a dose of it yeah um talking of which mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i think probably one of the talks that will speakers that will stick with me was a guy called douglas rushkoff okay. who's written a book called team humo and he was one of the internet pioneers back in the early 90s when it was you know, it was, it's hard to remember, but it was this kind of Wild West, idealistic frontier, insulated from nasty capitalism and everything. No one really thought about it as a way to build giant businesses and make lots of money. Yeah. And obviously, in those 20 or 25 years, um, it has been, you know, the internet is driving everything behind yeah. capitalism yeah. now. Yeah. And all the biggest companies in the world are digital internet companies. And their products are us. Mm, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> um, and you know what they're selling is our data. Yeah. And that's what that's what we're there for. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he takes a very cynical attitude towards it and feels that we're storing up some quite big problems for humanity. Yeah. When all we're not users, we're the used. Yeah. As he calls yeah. it, that, you know, our behaviour is being sold. Mm-hmm. predictions on what we're going to buy to yeah. companies as a business model and I think although I don't go as far as him and I think you know, probably ultimately a little bit more on our side of the fence yeah, yeah. than not I do think these are conversations that we've got to start having Absolutely. and we've got yeah. to broaden the conversation beyond the technologists in Silicon Valley mm. and that's the thing that, that sort of resonates with me and then you think okay how do you bring that back into the world of marketing where data obviously is increasingly yeah, important yeah. part of what we do. Yeah. And how do you do that ethically? Yeah. How do you do that responsibly? Um, when you're in a competitive market and yeah, yeah. other companies may not have such an approach. So yeah. Yeah, I don't have the answer to all of those things, but I think mm. just to think about those questions is important. Yeah, I think at the talk actually, Anne, you mentioned that quite a lot of the businesses that you knew of, especially in Silicon Valley, had ethicists actually embedded yeah. in the businesses. Is that is that quite commonplace? I mean, is that just a Silicon Valley thing, or is it wider? And how did how do you think that impacts on the way things are developed and the way that businesses are sort of working with AI and machine learning? 
Yeah, in my experience, it's pretty pervasive, especially yeah. within artificial intelligence and machine learning focused businesses. They are taking the ethical side of it really seriously. Yeah. Um, for example, Google acquired DeepMind about five years ago, and DeepMind, based in London, um, a third of their employees were ethicists, okay. where they wanted these ethicists to be in every meeting, in every room where decisions were being made, yeah. not only to anticipate the repercussions of the decisions that are being made, but even to just insert questions that hadn't yet been asked yeah, that needed yeah. to be considered while you're looking at a data set and trying to figure out a way to solve a particular problem. Ethicists were able to take a step back and look at the ripple effect of the decision being made. If we launched this and we were successful, what do we need to consider as, as repercussions of this? Yeah. Um, so in my experience, it, it has been taken very seriously. Now, I, I don't know every company in the world, and, and there's there's some doomsday examples of this. For, sure. for yeah. example, like in China, where they're doing social credit scores, mm -hmm. um, where they're looking at your behavior, and if the government doesn't like it, they change your social score to, um, and if your score goes low enough, you literally can't buy a train ticket, you're not allowed to get a promotion at work, you're not allowed to travel. I mean, they literally strip away some of your human rights because they don't like the kind of person you are, the message you're promoting. So that to me is kind of the actual yeah, scary yeah, scenario yeah. within artificial intelligence. Um, and um, that's a direction we obviously don't want to move into. Um, I personally think that would be really limiting on, on the innovative side of, of human yeah. creativity and diversity. Yeah. Um, but then for me, I'm much less worried about what Hollywood is portraying as the doomsday of artificial intelligence where robots take over the world and we have mm -hmm. nuclear obliteration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, I'm really focused on the other part of the scenario, which is inserting less represented voices into artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Because um, at Google, we take it really seriously to look at the data set being fed into computers because yeah. they're just computing what they're given. Yeah. And a lot of the data um, is just historical data mm -hmm. based on how things have gone in the past. And yeah. unfortunately, we do have uh, unintentional bias in, in most of our things. Anything from hiring decisions of the past yeah. has this inherent natural bias to it where men are assumed to be senior to women and given more leadership opportunities are hired at higher levels with the same skill set or having higher pay for the same skill set as a, as a female applicant and that's replicated through AI. Yeah, yeah. So that's one example of, of a data set being neutrally fed but um, but not giving the result that we wanted. And then we also have um, applications where you, you are creating new ways in interpreting data, but you really want um, to insert female voices into the questions you're asking the computer or underrepresented minority populations because they would ask the computer a question that maybe these you know, 20-year-old Stanford PhDs yeah, just in yeah. their experience wouldn't think to ask. Mm -hmm. So the more representation you have in this growing field, the better for, for the population as a whole. Absolutely. And what, what are there any talks that really stood out for you, or any you spoke about a few again at the event that we've just been to? But is there any sort of one or two that you'd want to get people to watch again? I suppose because we can go on. Yes. So if anyone did want to watch your um, mm -hmm. talk, for example, they can go onto the South by Southwest. Yeah, you website, can go onto the right? South by Southwest website. Not all of them were video recorded, okay. but all of them are audio recorded. So okay. if a talk sounds interesting, just expand the um, onto the talk particular page and mine for example you can listen to the audio recording cool. uh, you won't be able to see my slides but you can you can yeah. get the thing there. Okay. so a couple of the talks that really resonated with me were actually about that human element yeah. of it yeah. and for me um, Susan Fowler was really um, impactful she was just a, a data scientist at um, Uber and she had some difficult um, situations for her while she was working there with 
with um, some discrimination issues as, as a, one of the few females at the company. Yeah. And she wrote a now infamous blog post two years ago about her experiences and the treatment she was um, receiving there, which created a, a much-needed dialogue within Silicon Valley okay. about in, um, unconscious bias training and really having change come from the top, inserting more female leadership and doing things to proactively prevent that kind of discrimination for minority communities within tech. Okay. The second, um, and the one I think I've reflected on the most, was um, Jean Case's talk called Fearless. She does, she's on book tour right now with this okay. book, Fearless. Yeah. And for me, that resonated the most because she, she did this um, extensive research about normal, ordinary people doing extraordinary things through their, within their own circle of influence. Yeah. And the way in which a seemingly small act or question or energy focus had this enormous ripple effect beyond what they had originally imagined. So the book is full of examples of that, of everyday heroes. I mean, not everyone's going to be Jeff Bezos or an Eric Schmidt, but yeah. everyone has a unique opportunity to impact their family or their community or their... Mm -hmm their um, industry um, in in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise imagined. And I found that really inspiring to kind of maximize our, our impact just being us. Yeah, because sometimes you think, oh, well, if I just do this one thing, it's not going to make a big impact. So it's quite nice to hear that side of things as well. Yeah, yeah. really like that. Great. Mm -hmm. So just one other thing that was interesting for me, you talked a little bit earlier about Twitter being released over at South by Southwest. And, um, and, and I know a couple of years ago, it was all about Periscope and Meerkat. I'm not sure in the last couple of years that I've followed South by Southwest, if there was any particular products that were being launched. Would you say that was the case this year? Is it more the themes like machine learning and AI as opposed to a specific product, really? Yeah, overall it is kind of this evolving field of data science yeah. within machine learning and AI that's, that's pervasive through all the talks. But there were also some references for, that were new for even me. Okay. <laughs> for example, everyone was referring to TikTok as okay. if I should know what that is. And maybe because I'm in, I live in Europe now, I haven't been exposed to it yet. But that was new for me, which is a new video video platform. Okay. Uh, so maybe maybe I'm out of touch at the moment. But I hadn't experienced that before. And it was it infiltrated into yeah. lots of the conversations. Okay. So, that's so there are still the odd product upcoming yeah. things yeah. Yeah, that are being inserted in, into okay. the conversations. But. Cool. Yeah. So I'll we'll have to check that out yeah, myself. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and one final thing which I just wanted to ask you briefly about, which I thought was really interesting about your event that we just come from, is just your different attitudes or your views for the future, really. So I know that Anne, you are very positive about the future and talked a lot about some of the great things that AI and machine learning are going to enable. And Chris was slightly more pessimistic, a little bit more cynical. But um, could you just tell us, so Anne, I'll start with you a little bit about your sort of views for the future in light of things that you'd learned at South by Southwest. Yeah, I am generally an optimist. Okay. It's kind of my personality. Yeah. And I also am from the West Coast of the United States, so I've got that cowboy mentality of <laughs> yeah. just Wild West still and kind of trying to do the right things and, and being unafraid of wide open spaces where you haven't yet staked your claim. That okay. is kind of more yeah. of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but I I am mostly optimistic because of the people involved. Um, I've had the great pr privilege of working with some of the most influential people in, in technology for the last yeah. 15 years, and I have seen the seriousness with which they approach these questions. Okay. Um, I, I think very, very important concerns are being raised, but in the rooms that I've been in, they've been taken very seriously. So that gives me hope for the future yeah. that, well, if we, even though the answers aren't easy, difficult questions are being asked. And I think the applications for making our lives better outweigh some of the 
the serious ethical implications if we get it wrong. Okay. Um, so for me, I'm looking forward to, in the future, having better cancer detection through mm -hmm. uh, machine learning that helps oncologists detect things much earlier and literally save lives. Yeah. Yeah. Autonom autonomous vehicles, um, while yes, can displace some jobs, which we've seen in the past three industrial revolutions, um, it, it is literally going to save lives because um, autonomous vehicles don't get distracted or drunk or tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it also has a great environmental impact opportunity where right now concrete covers most of the world because of uh, need for parking. But if you have autonomous vehicles, they don't need to park and there's less traffic. So yeah. that, I mean, many, many opportunities yeah. for things. And I mean, the op applications are endless for this mm -hmm. technology within legal or security or other things. When you can feed a computer millions and millions of data sets that a human couldn't possibly digest, yeah, yeah. it does it much better and it enables the human to do their job and be more insightful. So for me, the opportunities are endless yeah, and I yeah. am optimistic for opportunities to make lives better, not only here in the developed world, but especially in developing communities yeah, yeah. to give them access to um, that level of expertise that they wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise and help our doctors and politicians and community leaders have a bigger impact and be armed with actual data yeah, instead yeah. of um, some of the misinformation that we're experiencing right now, I think would make the world a better place. But Great. That's very that Silicon very Valley nice anthem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Chris, you had a slightly different view, I think, but it yeah, would be good to Yeah, the view from that. the grumpies, <laughs> grit from this little coal rock in the, in the Arctic. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I I can't disagree with a lot of what Anne says. You mm -hmm. know, the opportunities are, in, are incredible, and you can see so many applications of this technology that you would have thought, if done responsibly, can yeah. only benefit humankind. And we've got a lot of problems yeah. that need solving. For sure. We? Yeah. Um, I think probably my I've got lots of concerns though, and I think every year I go to South by Southwest, I maybe add a new one okay. to my list. <laughs> I think the two concerns though that I probably raise in this talk are. First of all, you know, the now that the technology is moving away from cute photo apps mm -hmm. into kind of mainstream everyday life like education and healthcare yeah, and, yeah. and um, transport and all these things that, that really affect us and, and are not frivolous, that you know, this really starts to impact on on our society, on our mm -hmm. on our politics. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose particularly I feel there's this asymmetry between the smartness of the people developing this stuff and what they know about yeah, what they're yeah. doing. And I am kind of reassured in a sense by Anne's, what yeah, Anne tells me about where they're coming from. And the ignorance and perhaps lack of interest mm -hmm. in really finding out about technology amongst yeah. most politicians. Not all, yeah. but probably the majority who seem to be consumed with, with other things, building walls and stuff like that at the moment, rather than really develop, yeah. sort of addressing what are probably the, the, the big challenges in the next 20 years or so. So I think I am concerned that this technology is moving ahead so fast and our politicians are just not equipped to keep pace yeah. and you know some of it will need regulation at some point. If you're yeah. doing things with, with medicine, mm -hmm. you need regulation. If yeah. you're doing things yeah. with educating our children, you need regulation. I mean, it's a balance where you where you do yeah, it, yeah. but there's got to be some some rules with this stuff. Um, and I suppose my other concern is just the the tendency towards monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That we're seeing, you know, that there just seem to be some massive big winners, and they're basically the businesses that have been able to corner a particular 
part of this whole opportunity and hoover up all the data. Yeah. And once you've done that, you're incredibly difficult to dislodge. Mm -hmm. um, who, you know, who's really going to start a social network to displace Facebook? Well, maybe some some point someone will, but that's a big bet you've got yeah. to take, yeah. and that's going to take yeah. a lot of dollars to get there. So, um, yeah, on the one hand, we're talking about innovation and, and so on, but you know, on the other side, you've got companies that are monopolies, really, mm -hmm. yeah. and monopoly stifles innovation, stifles, stifles competition. Um, and I'm not quite sure I'd figure that out. And I okay. just see, you know, that they're, what we've seen with search, what we've seen with social media, yeah. we might start to see in transport and health and mm -hmm. education, yeah. that, you know, the business that gets there first in terms yeah. of critical mass with data yeah. is un very hard to compete with mm -hmm. that business once it's got there. Um, and that, I think, can only be solved by politicians getting a grip on it and also working internationally yeah, to deal yeah, with it, because there's yeah. no one state, even probably the US on its own, mm. can take these companies on. Yeah. Wow, big questions. <laughs> I agree with all of yeah, those yeah. answers. Yeah. 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 We're in agreement, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Are, we are, we are. It's just but... Anne smiles more than me. But I think one thing that you said earlier on, and that was the basis of your talk, was about the, the human element, and I think that's yeah. one thing. It, on, in a positive, sort of final word, is there something that you could say on that to... Um, that would sort of highlight the importance of humans that still yeah. were very much needed. I think that's exactly right. Like it really do does come down to people at their core are good. I, that um, for me really rings true. I've been visited 35 countries while working at Google and mm -hmm. trying to see ways in which technology can make lives better, to provide more opportunities, to bring freedom of information to people to empower them to live better lives. And so overall, I think it comes down to people trying to do the right things, yeah. um, improve their communities, their own situations, and to have a good social good. And for that, we need all voices. Yeah. So for me, opportunities with these developments in, in computational power come back to that, to solve the right questions solve the right issues by humans asking the right questions mm -hmm. and trying to help each other. And we need all all sides to be represented when we do that to create a diverse, interesting, innovative, opportune world. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I am mostly heartened by the people involved in the conversation yeah. and the active campaign to have more voices join in and to be yeah. part of creating our the future that we all want to see. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, and so and to answer well, Chris's concerns as well, it's good to know, like you're saying, that mm. the majority of people are good and that people are positive, and we're definitely moving in the right direction, definitely from your experience anyway. So yeah, yeah, from what I've, what I've seen um, yeah. and from these global communities, people yeah. are really well-intentioned and trying to make the world a better place. That doesn't mean that evil isn't out there, that people no. are abusing this power. There's enormous power in yeah. data, um, so it's out there, but we, we need to remain vigilant mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. But overall, I think people are trying to get the right things done. Cool. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much to both of you. Thanks. Thanks.